Unlock your Bible. Discover the true meaning of life. Learn the cause of world problems and the astounding solution. Prove for yourself what the future holds. In the Trumpet Literature Library, you will find answers to life's most important questions. Explore these vital titles on Trumpet Bookshelf. Welcome to Trumpet Bookshelf. I'm Grant Turgeon. Have you ever made a promise to somebody? How about a promise that you said was unconditional, could never be broken? Were you serious about that promise? Did you really mean it? How did you guarantee that it would remain true? There is one being who makes promises and guarantees those promises in the most spectacular ways. He boldly declares that his promises will hold no matter what. Notice here what this being says. If my covenant be not with day and night, and if I have not appointed the ordinances of heaven and earth, then will I cast away the seed of Jacob and David my servant, so that I will not take any of his seed to be rulers over the seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, for I will cause their captivity to return and have mercy on them. Now this is an ironclad absolute promise from God to King David, to all of his descendants. This is in Jeremiah chapter 33, and that was verses 25 and 26. Notice what the late educator and theologian Herbert W. Armstrong wrote in his book, The United States and Britain in Prophecy. You can get a free copy of that book at thetrumpet.com. This is page 61. Strong words, those. Unless you can stop this old earth from turning on its axis, unless you can remove the sun and the moon and stars from heaven, says the Almighty, you cannot prevent him from keeping his covenant to maintain continuously through all generations forever from the time of David and Solomon a descendant of David in one continuous dynasty on that throne. So because God made the earth, because he made the sun, moon, and stars and all the planets, he can make a promise based on the operations of the universe. God controls how the earth orbits the sun. He controls the sun rising in the morning and setting at night. And he says, I have the same exact control over my promise with David, where no matter what happens, King David or King Solomon or a king or queen to come after them, 
will continue to rule over the house of Israel all the way up until the return of Jesus Christ. It's a continuous, unbreakable dynasty. And as we'll see, even if the descendants of David completely rebelled, even if a king coming after David turned away from God, this promise was still true. It was still sure. It's as sure as the rising of the sun. It's as sure as the earth's rotation. That's what God promises in Jeremiah chapter 33. There is a lot of beauty and depth in this promise. And the reason why this promise matters to you is because it's either true or it's not. And if it's true, it adds authority and credibility to the entire Bible. If it's false, then we could essentially throw out the whole book. Mr. Armstrong points out in the United States and Britain in Prophecy how some of the great figures of American history even lost faith in the Bible because they just couldn't see how this promise to David had been fulfilled. Indeed, it does look as though at various times this promise was actually broken. So how do we answer these types of questions, these types of skeptics? Well, chapter 5 of the United States and Britain in Prophecy is titled The Davidic Covenant. I thought it would be relevant to talk about this right now because we have an outstanding music and dance production called Celtic Throne. And really, this musical or this dance production, it's not really a musical, has been called the United States and Britain in Prophecy in music and dance form. So basically, it's a performance of this book. You really need to get this book. The United States and Britain in Prophecy, again, available for free at thetrumpet.com. You can start reading it online right now, and you can also get yourself a copy in the mail. Just an outstanding book. And you'll notice at thetrumpet.com, in the Philadelphia Trumpet News Magazine, Royal Vision Magazine, the PCG.church website, really all of our different sources everywhere constantly refer to the United States and Britain in prophecy, even in articles that you wouldn't think have to do with that. This book is referenced. And that's because God makes so many promises and so many prophecies directly related to the United States and Britain, the Jews as well. All of these descendants of David, all of these descendants of ancient Israel that still are on the scene today, that are still alive still doing things that align with exactly what God said they would do. And this mus this dance production, I keep calling it a musical, this dance production, Celtic Throne, does trace David's throne. 
and how this throne has moved from place to place through the ages for thousands of years somehow some way this throne has been preserved this dynasty of david has continued now when we make a promise or when someone makes a promise to us it's not always possible for that promise to be fulfilled in exactly the way we expected or the way that we wanted. You might promise your children that you'll take them to the science museum. I have made that promise to my children this summer, but I didn't say what the date would be. <laughs> I didn't tell them which Sunday we would go to the science museum. So it is a promise and if the kids had their choice, it would be this Sunday. But I already know for a fact it won't be this Sunday. You see, promises are not always fulfilled exactly the way that people want them to be. And the same is true with this Davidic covenant. God promised that the kingly line would continue, that this line from the tribe of Judah starting with David, would end up ruling over Israel, which is different from Judah. So that's another detail too. But somehow this line would continue and it would keep on ruling. Even if the throne moved locations, even if it appeared as though all the descendants of David had been wiped out, Sometimes the evidence doesn't quite line up. Maybe we're not seeing the big picture. That's why this Davidic covenant has confused a lot of people. So let's just go back to the beginning here. Mr. Armstrong starts building up some of this history in chapter 5 of the United States and Britain in Prophecy. Israel, after escaping bondage and slavery in Egypt, began to travel toward the promised land. And at Mount Sinai, God made a covenant with them. You can find this in Exodus 19, 20, and the several chapters after that. God made a covenant with them. And really, it was like a marriage covenant. It's described in Ezekiel and Jeremiah as a marriage covenant. And this covenant was to establish ancient Israel as God's chosen nation. It was going to be a government from the top down where God was their ruler. God was their only king. Now, as we go through this, you'll notice there are a lot of important subjects and other questions that arise. For example, as Mr. Armstrong addresses elsewhere in this book, why would God choose one nation 
why would God seemingly play favorites with Israel? And the answer to that question really is <laughs> part of describing God's entire master plan for all mankind. God doesn't love Israel or anyone more than anybody else. God had a purpose for working with Israel at the time that he did. Israel was supposed to be an example for the entire world. Israel was supposed to inspire the entire world to turn to God, to reap the blessings of God's way of life. But as we learn, as we follow this history, Israel failed. And even that is a lesson to us. Israel was carnal. They did not have the power of God's Holy Spirit. And therefore, they were incapable of keeping God's law. They did not have the power, the spiritual power from God necessary to fully keep God's law. That's a lesson to us. And that is why God later established his church, this time with the power of the Holy Spirit, with the ability to fully keep the law. That, that brings up another question. Didn't Christ do away with the law? As Mr. Armstrong points out on page 52 of the United States and Britain in Prophecy, Ancient Israel had more than one set of laws. They had ritualistic laws. They had statutes and judgments. So there were specific animal sacrifices, for example, that God commanded. These were really tests of Israel's obedience. Again, they didn't have the Holy Spirit, and so the way they worshipped God was quite different. They had to have more physical activities, more physical symbols in their worship. They had these civil laws, these statutes and judgments, because this was not uh, just a religious belief that they had. This was an entire nation. A nation has to be run by laws. A nation needs law and order. And so Israel did have those types of laws too. But then Mr. Armstrong explains here on page 52, the one great central code of law, basis for both church and civil government, the overall spiritual code was the Ten Commandments. So the wrong idea is that Christ came and abolished every type of law that ancient Israel kept. When the fact is the Ten Commandments are still in force to this day. In Matthew chapter 5, Christ showed specific examples of how we should go above and beyond in keeping the Ten Commandments. He said, not only should you avoid committing murder, which breaks the sixth commandment, but you shouldn't even have hatred in your heart 
toward anybody. Go above and beyond. Keep the spiritual intent of the sixth commandment. He said, not only should you avoid committing adultery, the physical act of adultery, which would break the seventh commandment, but you shouldn't even have a lustful thought. You shouldn't even lust and dwell on those wrong thoughts. Go above and beyond to keep the seventh commandment fully. That was what Christ taught. That does not sound at all like he wanted to abolish the Ten Commandments because he didn't. He never did that. What a major deception. That's exactly what Satan would want people to believe. That Christ abolished the Ten Commandments and therefore we can all just live as lawlessly as we please. So ancient Israel operated ultimately by the Ten Commandments, but they had these other laws too. Sadly, it was only a matter of time before the carnal, rebellious Israelites rejected God. 1 Samuel 8, God is assuring the prophet Samuel, and he, he says, don't worry, Samuel, they have rejected me. Don't take it personally, Samuel. They have rejected their God, their true king. So Samuel anointed Saul, but Saul rejected God too. And God cut off Saul's dynasty. This leads us to David's dynasty. God didn't want a repeat of what happened with Saul. So he picked a man after his own heart to be the next king. David had to survive Saul's plots to assassinate him before David could ever take the throne. But he was anointed king and finally, after many years, actually took the throne. Revelation 22 shows whose throne it really was. We often say David's throne, just to clarify what we're talking about. But whose throne was it really? Notice Revelation 22, verse 16. This is Christ saying, I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. Notice this. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. Think about a tree. A tree starts with the roots. So Christ, if he's the root of David, that means he came before David. He was the real foundation of that throne. But he was also the offspring. You could think about the branches on the tree, the fruits of the tree. Those come after the main trunk of the tree has developed. And so Christ also would be a descendant of David. 
Christ established that throne and he will also come back soon to rule from that very same throne. On page 53 of the United States and Britain in Prophecy, Mr. Armstrong wrote, David's throne will be doubly his right. So he will rule on that throne very soon. Until then, however, a descendant of David would have to rule. And it would have to be an unbroken, continuous line. Notice this epic promise in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Here is where God gets specific and makes this guarantee directly to David's son, Solomon. 2 Samuel chapter 7, uh, verse 12, starting in verse 12. God tells Solomon, I will set up your seed after you, which shall proceed out of your bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. This is actually God talking to David about Solomon, not to Solomon. Uh, Verse 13, talking about Solomon again. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Verse 14, I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. So, this is a perpetual covenant, an unbreakable promise to David that Solomon would rule after him and that all of his descendants would continue to rule. He would have a royal dynasty that would continue forever. But even still, it promises curses for disobedience. Just because this is an unbreakable covenant does not mean that the descendants of David would escape curses for disobedience. However, those curses would not include cutting off that dynasty. 2 Samuel 7 verse 15, that's what God promises. But my mercy shall not depart away from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before you. And then finally, verse 16, and your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. So David ruled and was successful. The strength of Israel only increased under Solomon. And after Solomon, the line continued. It even continued through a national split. That's another thing that a lot of people don't understand. Israel and Judah became separate nations. They basically had a civil war. They split. They went to war against each other. They, they answered to different kings. They were separate nations. And the kingly line continued in the nation of Judah. Now, even when it looked like all hope was lost, when surely this dynasty would be wiped out and ended forever, 
It still continued. Now, Mr. Armstrong thoroughly proves that. I would encourage you to go ahead and prove that too. Get yourself a copy of the United States and Britain in Prophecy at thetrumpet.com. Even when King Zedekiah was thrown in a dungeon and eventually died there, even though all of his sons were killed, the line continued. You can prove that. You don't just have to believe it. You can look in the history and prove it. And that's exactly what Mr. Armstrong does. It's an endless covenant. It's as sure as the rising of the sun. It's completely unbreakable. It's established for all generations. And this promise really ought to increase our faith in the words of the Bible. God makes promises and he dares anybody to prove him wrong. It's impossible. God's promises will remain. His purpose shall stand. David and his descendants would rule over the house of Israel. So there is this transfer where descendants of the tribe of Judah would then begin ruling over people from Israel, even though those were two separate nations. So that's another part of this promise that is easy to lose track of. It's easy to just lose where these people went, but you can follow it if you study it closely. This dynasty did continue. You can stake your life on this promise. This is a faith-building, life-changing promise. God dares you to prove it true. And then page 62, Mr. Armstrong says, the infallibility of the Bible is at stake. God's word is at stake. Thanks so much for listening today. I'm Grant Turgeon. This has been Trumpet Bookshelf. You've been listening to Trumpet Bookshelf. Please email your thoughts to comments at kpcg.fm. Listen for new episodes every Friday at 10 a.m. Central Time.